0: Welcome back to the Rocky Retirement Show. I'm your host, Kathy Klein, and today's guest host is an expert on keeping family members in their own homes. Jonna Overson was actually on the show before. You can go back, way back to episode 24, if you want to hear more about her. Just keep in mind, I was pretty new to the show. I've gotten better, hopefully, since then. Um, Now, a lot of us... Are in the situation where we are looking at intergenerational living, whether it's because our children are moving in with us, or our parents are moving in with us, or maybe we're moving in with our children or parents. And so we are doing a four part series. And today's uh, talk is going to be about the challenges of multi generational living, which actually can be many. But before we start, I wanted to remind you that this show, this episode, is sponsored by the Medicare Quick Step-by-Step Guide to Signing Up for Medicare. I have a copy right here for those of you um, oh, we're not doing this on YouTube. For so, for those of you who are listening on the podcast, I'm holding up <laughs> a copy of it. But you can go and get it absolutely free. You don't even have to put in your email address. Just go to MedicareQuick.com/slash/checklist, and you can get a copy of it. So, anyway, Jonna, thank you so much for co-hosting today. I really appreciate thank
1: you, it. Kathy, oh yeah, I'm excited. This is great fun. Yeah, me too.
0: Where's my document? We're talking about. I had it right here. Here it is. I'm a little listener. I just have too many files on my desk. Um, So what we're talking about is the challenges of multi-generational living. And we're looking at an article that was written. I'm shuffling papers here on RelationshipMatters.com. And we'll go ahead and post a link to this. But John actually knows first from firsthand experience. So do we want to go through what the article talks about and then say whether or not you have the same experience or how do you want to do this, John?
1: Yeah, no, I really loved this article. It was one of the more robust ones that we've come across in our discussions so far. And what I liked about it was it talked about the positives actually in the beginning the title of the article is the challenges of multi-generational living but before just diving right into those challenges it talks a lot about you know the benefits which you've covered in the last two but it's very honest about the fact that uh, that when you're living in a multi-generational household you are stepping outside of what we are used to as our cultural norm a little bit and so because there are some differing expectations from what we may have thought we were going to have of our future self picture um, there is some emotional conflict that comes from that so this article goes through you know kind of how the adult child might feel talks a little bit about how the uh, the younger people in the house might feel and then how it's also going to affect the oldest adults in the generational house Um, so I I thought that that was really great and then it kind of wraps up by talking about um, kind of the emotional bullet points, if you will, just, you know, how to maybe make the transition better or easier, or just acknowledging that some of these feelings are going to exist.
0: Hmm. Well, we kind of already know that, right? Like people, like, for example, giving up your keys would be similar to giving up your home, right? You know, giving up your keys to your car. Oh, you mean your car
1: keys? Oh, Yeah. I see. yeah
0: symbolizes, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, now I can't drive anymore. Giving up your home is like, oh my gosh, now I have to do what my child's going to tell me to do because I'm living in their house, right?
1: right? Right. Which is a little true. I mean, I'm not going to mince words. It's It definitely happens.
0: <laughs> hmm. How did you deal with that in your own, yeah, how did you deal with that in your own household?
1: Sure, yeah. So uh, my father came to live with us last year. Um, we've been a multi-generational household from teens all the way up to 60s for that year. And there've been some really great, um, really great aspects. If you listen to the last two episodes, we talk really positively about the multi-generational opportunity. The challenges though, are also very real. And so before my father moved in, I spent some time creating a contract
0: Oh. That was interesting, right.
1: yeah, so it it got mixed reviews from people that I talked to. Some people said, "Oh, why would you want to give your father a contract? expectations? You know, <laughs> what would the contract even say? And you know, just a lot of like, why are you making this so legal easy, i suppose was was the feedback I got. Well, I
0: love it. Well, thank you. I it.
1: but then there were people like you who said oh gosh yes spelling it all out hashing out the good the bad and the ugly in the beginning that makes a lot of sense so i did i i i gave it and it wasn't a contract saying you know father father's gonna pay her 750 dollars if he it wasn't like that it was more an acknowledgement of the emotional place of each person in the household So I went through and I started from the youngest child. And I said, this is her developmental place. This is what's important to her. This is how she feels valued. And this is how she feels undervalued. Hmm. And I went, yeah, I went through each person and it was simple things. It was like, you know, my youngest child, she loves sweets. So that's the way to her heart is by a little bit of candy, which also conflicts with mom's need (laughs) to do a really good job nutrition. So there's, you know, there's layers in the contract, but You know, and my husband, I spent a lot of time talking about because my husband is the son-in-law. Right. Which
0: isn't necessarily the same dynamic as the daughter.
1: Definitely not. Lots of difference there. (laughs) But we spent, I spent a lot of time talking about his need for privacy, his need to still be the leader of his household. So talking about the emotional things that my family needed was really important. But as I went through the process of making the contract or the consent or just the whatever you want to call it. I had to put myself in the mind of my father and I had to say, you know, I started thinking about the fact that he is a grown independent individual who deserves his respect and his freedom and he makes his own choices. So it was really about not just me saying, here's what we need to make this work. It was about me acknowledging what he needs to feel valued and independent and have the space that he needs in his household. So. Did you use a template for that or how did you come up with this idea? Um, because I'm really into documentation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm happy to give you a link of it. I'll We can redact my names, but people can take a look at it because I mean, it really was, I think it ended up being two to four pages. I can't remember, Wow. but it was really just a breakdown of who we were as individuals. And that's one of the things I liked about, I liked about this article was it wasn't just I mean, it did have the statistics, but it also talked about the emotional place, and and that I think is where a lot of the challenges come in is from those undermet or unmet expectations and emotional needs.
0: So it's been a year. How did your document? Did it set the expectations, or were there still problems?
1: Well, you have to consider the people in the situation. So I'm extraordinarily analytical. Obviously I made a contract, right? Uh, my dad is a free spirit who believes in communal living. Oh, sounds uh, like my mom. Right. <laughs> uh, and that, so, so just having that very different perspective starting place made some difficulty. So while the contract was a good intention, I think sometimes the fine bits got, um, uh, pushed the wayside. And one of the things that I found really interesting about the integration is that, and we talked about this in one of the other episodes, is that you have a second chance to learn your parent, which is amazing, right? You have your child perspective, and then you have your adult perspective. And those are two totally different yous and two totally different thems. Totally awesome. The challenge, though, is that sometimes I think that we become our child self with our parent more than we would in any other situation and they will adopt that those same roles that the parent worked. self a little bit yeah because you're so, acting
0: like a child so they're going to have to act like the parent
1: well it wasn't even that like the child acting because I'm you know I'm a grown woman now. I'm,
0: when I said you I mean the not you Jonna <laughs> oh, I mean <laughs> I mean the overall the you person right okay.
1: well I mean it was things like When my dad was the head of household, he provided for us. He still wants to have that functionality, but he's no longer head of household in this house. He has his own space. He's head of household in that space, but not the whole space. So my dad will come home from grocery shopping and throw a piece of steak in front of me and look at me like I'm supposed to cook it. <laughs>
0: You're like, "What do you want me to do with that, dad?" Yeah. <laughs> There's and, the grill right
1: there. <laughs> and I'll look at him and it, and it took me a long time to realize that this was an old pattern. This was this was something we've been practicing from the time I was 13 to the time I was 20. And my husband looked at me and he said, "Why are you doing this?" <laughs> And I said, Oh, it doesn't bother me. It's fine. Let him cook his own
0: steak. Right,
1: right. That was your husband's perspective. That was my husband. Yeah. But it didn't bother me. I was like, well, it was nice of him to bring the steak. He's buying dinner. I don't mind cooking it. His thought was, well, this is what you do when you're in a family, you provide and you prepare and you're the woman and I'm the man. And so all these old roles, came back in a world that they did not exist in any longer.
0: Right. Right. So how did you get over it? Was it just coaxing by your dad a little? Did you, did you tell your daughter to cook the steak? Like, what did you do? Did you say, dad, here's a grill. There's a George Foreman. Go for it. How did well, you deal think, with it?
1: Um, I think it's always a work in progress uh, because you know, that's how he sees a family. So it's hard to say that's not appropriate. So what we kind of did was I'd said, well, I'll invite you to dinner and if you want to bring something, I'll cook it for you. Oh. Right? That way you're telling but, him without putting it in his face. Right, right. So rather than I bring you food, you make me food. <laughs> you know, now it's I'll if if you're invited, please bring whatever you want. I'll make you anything that sounds good to you but no longer is bringing a raw steak a reason for me to spend an hour in the kitchen. Okay. That
0: makes total sense. Right. And he it, learned it. He figured it out. He.
1: Yeah. It worked. Yeah, It did. Yeah. So having that conversation helped with the barriers, uh, with the boundaries, not barriers, boundaries. I think, I think being really honest with your loved one is important. And so I work in home care and I work with, adult children bringing in uh, older adults quite often. Now, it's a little bit different. We've been talking about the fact that only about 10% of people are brought into a home because of health and age. But there are still a lot of these same challenges, you know, the the fight for independence and autonomy, you know, emotional needs that are needing to be filled and, and maybe an adult child doesn't have the bandwidth to fill those needs. Um, so I see a lot of people go through this, and the ones that I've seen who've been most successful are the ones that first off come from a from a place of of charity and giving and openness. So even before you ever have somebody live with you, making sure that your heart is in the right place and that it's not a chore because it can become a chore. <laughs> it can get to that place, and if you're not already in a place of love and openness then it, it makes it that much more complicated. Um, I think also remembering to be an advocate for your loved one, um, not feeling like you're doing them a certain favor by having them in your space, but actually that you're advocating for their health and happiness, mm. that you want the best for them. And if you feel like that's living with you, that you're actually implementing that that charity of heart and advocating for their happiness. So, you know, not... not um, if you're bringing your mom or your dad in your house not expecting them to be a default babysitter right not right but I
0: can see where you would expect that right because it's like hey if you want me to help you you should help me because I need your help right
1: yes but asking goes a long
0: way (laughs) was that in your contract about anything about babysitting or anything like that
1: oh absolutely yeah It's at my dad's discretion. If he's got some other plan or he doesn't feel like it, he doesn't have to. And it's different for us because our kids are older. So it's more of a watchful eye, not as much of a babysitter. Um, But the important thing is to respect each other's face and ask. Right. Not just assume. Like,
0: what if dad had plans to go to a movie, right? And you're expecting him to babysit and you didn't even ask. And he's like, well, I kind of had these other plans.
1: Yeah. And then that's a mismatched expectation, right? Because you feel let down and he feels put upon. So I think that having that open dialogue, really asking before you assume, like, you know, for us, there was, um, we did go ahead and put a monetary agreement because as we talked about before, some of that multi-generational thing is, is a financial incentive. We live in Southern California, which is a really expensive part of the country. So we put in a small, you know, agreement that he was going to help us, you know, with a certain amount of rent and groceries each month, and we were going to cover the rest. So that has been—we've never had to go back and rehash that. There's no, this is mine, that's yours. You didn't do enough. You did too much. So because we had that conversation in the beginning, it it set the groundwork really nicely. Because money can be a conflict in families, as you know. Right,
0: right. <laughs> I mean, that's isn't that the number one cause of divorce still? money well like one of the top three for sure (laughs) definitely yeah so that's good that you did that yeah I, i love the fact that you did that and i would love a template um let's see what are some of the other things that they talked about the fact that it's different from a nuclear family that you already talked about that which is our norm it's just you know mom dad kid
1: yeah well, and I think one of the things that the article does touch on really nicely is how the child might feel deprived of their parent's full attention.
0: And I never would even think of that. You'd really, think, you're talking about the grandchild, or you, yes, or you as the child? No, the grandchild. Yeah, I would think that they would love having the extra attention from the grandparent. But now that you brought that up, yeah, I can kind of see because now you're you're focusing on the grandparent more. Right. Than them. Yeah.
1: Well, I can give you an example. My mom doesn't live with me. My father does. But my mom and I have a very good relationship. So uh, I have about an hour commute in the mornings. And I love to start my car and call my mom. And I often have my children in the car. And when that happens, the eyes roll. Because they know they're going to have to listen to an hour of mom and grandma, mom and grandma, blah, blah, blah.
0: And they don't have the TVs in the back or whatever kids have now. They can, but they can't talk.
1: Oh, right. because you're I mean, they, talking. Well, no, they, they want my attention. They right. want to talk to they can't talk about, to you. Right. Yeah, because I'm, I'm taken. So I have to consciously not call my mom when it might be my first want, because I want to focus on the people in the car, which are my oh. girls. Yeah, it makes now, sense. when you live with someone and they're in your space, you can't control that as easily. And I, and I have definitely seen where my kids are like, oh, grandpa's talking again. And, you know, where's our turn? So that does happen for at least in my experience.
0: Hmm. I wonder if that
1: teaches them a little bit more patience.
0: You mm, know,
1: I think it teaches them to go sit in their room and watch more TV. Oh, no, <laughs> no, just no, no, no. But I can see where that could be, you know, where <laughs> that could happen for sure. I think it's just something to be mindful of. I mean, they definitely get their time with us. Um, and they're encouraged to join in the conversations, the multi-generational conversations. It's just, it's just a different vibe.
0: You know, there's a TV show that I like to watch, and I don't even know if it's still on the air. I think it is. Um, it's called Blue Bloods. Have you heard
1: of it? Oh, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it.
0: So it has Tom Selleck, and basically he's the chief of police or whatever, and then his kids are all involved somehow in the law. His daughter is a um, district attorney, and then the other kids, uh, the, the two boys, are all in the police department. And every Sunday, so it used to be the end of every show would would have their family dinner, but it's sort of mixed up now. But they would have their family dinner with the grandkids, the kids, and Tom Selick. Oh, and Tom's father. Mm. So what is that, four generations? We've got kids, grandkids. Yeah, yeah, four generations. And they would talk about what happened. And even things that were, like, they would even talk about politics, things in the news. They would talk about, um, because Tom Selleck is always being, people are always taking shot at him politically because Mm -hmm. of his position. He's a New York State or New York city uh, chief of police basically. And I love how they have the conversations between the four generations, because of course the young, the youngest generation has a different thought about how, about what's happening than the granddad right and so i just i just love that interaction i was just wondering if if you get any of that in your multi-generational home
1: very much so very much so yeah we have and and also different parts of the country so part of us are very much california some of us are very much texas you can imagine how those conversations go right (laughs) exactly (laughs) all the
0: politics that we're we're having
1: yeah yeah so so there's a lot of um interesting blends of personalities and viewpoints and it's uh it's cool to watch my children understand where their grandfather's coming from or sometimes not understand where their grandfather is coming from there was uh there was one other thing in this article that it was just one paragraph but it's something that i wanted to touch on was um was some of the history It talks about how if maybe the relationship wasn't great and maybe childhood left some bad taste in the mouth, that it can be difficult for people to integrate in a multi-generational household. But I do see more often than I thought I would where multi-generational households are strained because they feel there isn't another choice. So Mm. because of health or age... Maybe a parent who is abusive or neglectful suddenly becomes the responsibility of a child who's not willing to say, I want no responsibility, but also has all these conflicting emotions. Is it legal for a child to say, no,
0: you, you can't move in with me? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, you le- have. So legally, they don't have to, but they feel morally responsible for their yeah. parent, even though there was abuse or whatever in the house. Right.
1: I mean, we all have our histories, right?
0: Of course.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, th- I don't think there's very few people who can look back and say, no, it's perfect. Parents did everything 100% right. Have no problems. Right?
0: Because <laughs> right. everyone's so, human as far as I right. know, right?
1: Right. So, And some more than others. But I think that the thing that I I want to get across is that you, if you do not feel comfortable having somebody live in your home, if you do not feel safe or supported, uh, you do not have to do that, no matter how dire and how the situation or the health might be. I can't tell you how many times people call me very reluctant because, of course, I do in-home care. They call me extremely reluctantly to be involved in managing another loved one's case because of all that history that happened. And they're doing it even though they're upset and reluctant about it. And it causes so much stress on that, on the, on the adult child who's trying to deal with the emotional baggage and also manage this changing, chaotic, you know, care situation. And what I always tell those people is it's okay for you not to do this. It's okay for you not to take on this responsibility. If your parent left you in a place where you don't feel emotionally interested, capable, or well enough to handle that, that's okay that doesn't make you a bad person makes you human and you have to take care of you first that'd be my advice
0: that is good advice very good advice it's also a good place to um end on I love the fact that you give people permission because I know lots of people that have told me that they're not taking care of their parents Mm -hmm. you know they're just not going to the relationship wasn't good or or whatever and um I mean, I can understand, especially if it's going to cause a rift in your marriage, mm-hmm. if the, if there's a rift between the in-laws and your, I mean, how do you choose?
1: Right. You yeah. It, it can put a strain and and people from the outside looking and say, oh, why wouldn't you want to care for your, for your aging parent? Why wouldn't you want to, to be involved in the hospital and discharge they don't know what your past is and they don't know where you're coming from. So you have to be honest about what you want to do for yourself. What's going to be good for you and your loved one.
0: Right. And your family, the, the your family, family, you know, your nucleus, nuclear. Yeah. How do you say that? Your, your core family. core. Right. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you. This was very enlightening. Thank you for sharing your own personal experiences with um, you know, the multi generational. I know this was a tough subject, but the next one is going to be a little bit more light hearted, and that is how to have a meaningful and happy multi generational family life. So that's in the next episode. So thanks so much for listening to today's episode, and Jonna and I will see you next week in Rocky Retirement. was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show. Uh, when he decided to leave podcasting number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review, whatever podcast app you're listening to,